Ladies and gentlemen, it is Friday, 4.43 a.m. The uh, capitalist enslavement work camp that I report to every day has told me that I have 48 hours of government-mandated leave. And that's fucking awesome. My daughter turns 11 this weekend, so we have three of her girlfriends coming over to spend the night, so that should be interesting. I'm sure there'll be a lot of refereeing fights and arguments, and they're not letting me play with them bullshit, but this is fathering. Um, something on my brain. Every time you go to a high school basketball game, they're going to play House of Pain, jump around. It's just like a standard thing, part of the halftime deal or whatever. But there's a part in that song that says, if your girl steps up, I'm smacking the hoe. Obviously, high school principals are not 90s hip-hop fans, or they would probably not allow that to be played during school functions. So here's the thing that probably makes me a weird motherfucker. Uh, recently, I've lost a whole bunch of weight. Um, so I have about three more inches of external penis that I'm not used to. And it was doing some funny things that I wanted to get checked out. Doing some weird curving deal or some shit. So I got a urology appointment. And I go to the urologist. And the doctor is maybe a 25-year-old pretty good looking woman beautiful you know and uh, I'm like oh fuck now I'm going to get a big fucking heart on when she's looking at my cock and we're talking and she's explaining what the trouble is and it turns out to really not be a trouble it's just I'm old man and I have more penis to look at but anyway she does this fucking has to look at it and squeezes on my nuts and whatnot, and I can't say that I'm hating this whole bunch. It's actually kind of enjoyable. And then uh, she said, yeah, you know, I don't see any problems. And she said, well, do you want me to do a, a rectal prostate exam right away? And I know from other doctors that my prostate is way up my ass far and they can't feel it. And I'm looking at this girl's hands and I'm like, there's no way she's going to even get near it. And I'm like, but we could turn this into some X video shit a little bit, you know, a little prostate massage. And then I was like, oh, my God, I think I might be cheating on my wife by thinking that. And I went ahead and declined the rectal exam. Apparently, we're going to send some Abrams tanks to uh, Ukraine. And of course we are. And here's why. We're going to give what we always do. We give our allies a bunch of our old used garbage, which is basically an M1 tank. is a 
badass machine, but it is pretty outdated bullshit. I mean, it was almost, it wasn't a new thing when I was in Iraq in 05, so now it's almost antique. But it's still a pretty decent battle tank. But what we're going to do is we're going to give them a whole bunch of free shit. And then uh, the Raytheon Corporation and Halliburton and such entities are going to sell them parts at full price. That's uh, kind of just what we do, I think. And, uh, well, I'll give you my opinion on the Ukraine war, too. Uh, we can sit here and fucking jibber-jabber about Zelensky and Putin and corruption and Russian mafia and all the fucking shit. Is this a proxy war between the United States and Russia? Which it, it probably is. And I don't want to brush off the fact that a whole bunch of people are dying and suffering and all that, and that's terrible. But the truth of the matter is, is no matter what we do, what we think about, how much we analyze this, rich people are just going to send poor people into the meat grinder. That's what they do. It's been happening since the beginning of time. And I don't think there's any way to stop that. Insects have what's called a hive mind, where somehow all the bees know what they're supposed to do, and they know their role in their community. Ants do that as well. Uh, I think it's called they're called leaf cutter ants. They're actually so fucking sophisticated that you know they go out and they cut the cut the leaves and they bring them back to their nest or whatever their underground deal. And they don't eat those leaves. What they do is they actually make like a methane digester down there and ferment the leaves, and then they feed that substance to their larva. So there, and there's like a vent hole for this little area inside their hive. Pretty cool shit. But anyway, sometimes I wonder if human beings have a hive mind. We kind of all work together under capitalist enslavement. And, like, bees make honey. Ants make the hive. And I wonder if humans, their hive mind is engineered or made to make destructive technology. Because that's kind of what we seem to always do is push technology and destruction further and further. And I don't know if you ever heard of lemmings, but they're kind of a little mouse creature. I'm not sure. I don't even fucking know what they look like. But every now and then, when the population gets to be too much, they'll decide, just decide, hey, we're all going to fucking run off a cliff into the sea and kill ourselves. And that resets the, the balance of their population. And I wonder if the human hive mind makes the technology and the destructive things to just call our own herd. 
you know, like the lemmings do. And maybe war is just a natural part of the human condition. So this podcast has not uh, received a COVID misinformation label yet. And I'm going to go ahead and see if I can get one of them right away. Um, so here's where I think COVID come from. Didn't come from a lab. Didn't come from eating bats. It came from the warlock witch lizard person, Hillary Clinton. See, in between her penis and her anus, she's got another organ that she can spray with, kind of like a horny cat. And she sprays coronaviruses out of that. And uh, she shot this coronavirus into the air, and then everybody's getting it. Okay, so that's that. Pretty pretty standard. That's fact, I would think. And here's where it gets weird. So the COVID vaccination is actually dandruff from Bill Gates. But it has a chemical compound in it to where if you get the COVID vaccination, and then you get COVID, inside of you starts to grow a coronamorph, which is similar to a xenomorph, uh, made popular by the documentary series Aliens. Alien. The gestation period for the coronamorph is exactly 666 days, and they will burrow out of your chest, much like the xenomorph would, and then they will grow, and they will begin sacrificing all the children of the world. So about two years from now, we're probably going to have some troubles. So over the pandemic, the corporate media has really learned how to fear monger stuff. And that's just how you sell the news, is you try and make people afraid, and they watch more because they want more details. But I've actually noticed here this winter that they're doing that with the fucking weather now, even like the local weather. They always want to hype it up. Oh, it's 30 below with the wind chill and warnings, and you get fucking things on your phone that go off, you know, alerts and blah, blah, blah. It's just fucking winter. I don't see anything different than a normal Wisconsin winter. But it's like every little thing they have to over-dramatize. I am. The world's so fucked. I'm Tom. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Tom. I've been a fucking alcoholic since I was about 16 years old. I know that. I always have known it. And honestly, it really never bothered me a whole lot. Because drinking was fucking fun. I'm 42 years old now. And I've come to the point where it's almost never fun. It's usually, well, that was pretty awful. I do this thing where, well, I used to get drunk and I would feel good about myself. You know, it gives you some confidence and all that. But lately, 
when I get drunk, I fucking hate myself. And I'm not, I don't really care for that. So I'm kind of trying to give it up a little bit. And I got this, uh, talked to my doctor, and I got this fucking pills. I forget what the name of them are, naloxetone or no, something shit like that. It's kind of like Narcan. But what it's supposed to do is it's supposed to block the opioids in the alcoholic brain that make drinking so fun. And it's like supposed to curb cravings too. You can still drink on it, you know. I, I have. Uh, but apparently, normal people that aren't alcoholics, such as myself, don't have the soul orgasm when they drink a beer like I do. Like that, you open that can and you take a drink, and it just your soul just quivers, and it feels so good. I guess not everybody gets that. <laughs> um, that's why some people are alcoholics, I guess. But this pill is supposed to kind of quell that soul orgasm. And I'd say it's taken it down by about 50%. You know, it still feels good to have a beer. But what I've noticed that's strange that I had never have been able to do before is I can have three beers and stop. It's... uh. That's a new thing for me, because usually I just want to get more and more and more and more and more. But, uh, I don't know, I've drank a lot less since I started taking it. Uh, pretty hopeful that maybe I can uh, slow down a bunch. I don't know if I really want to quit drinking altogether, but maybe once a month would probably be about the right rate for me, but we'll see. The VA addiction counselor is trying to get me to go to AA meetings, which I probably should do, but I don't know. I'm hopeful that this drug's going to help me. I'm feeling better. I've always been a big Bruce Springsteen fan. Uh... Bruce Springsteen is, in my opinion, probably one of the biggest American icons there ever will be, ever it was. Um, and it's always been a dream of mine to go see him live. It's actually kind of like my bucket list band. And uh, I got found something on the Internet that said there's a Bruce Springsteen concert in the Twin Cities. And I'm like, okay, I have to go to that before him or I die so I hop on there and I'm looking on Ticketmaster and tickets are like $300 and I'm like you know it's fucking Bruce Springsteen to see Bruce Springsteen I'll pay $600 for me and a wife you know it's worth it that's a life experience I'm getting ready to order them and I'm like okay well I'll look where the seat is and that $300 fucking dollar seat is behind the stage I think this is at the XL Energy Center. It's, this seat is like all the way to the top behind the stage. What fucking good is that? So I'm like, okay, well, I'll look at the better, better seats here. Well, lo and behold, that better seats start about $600 a ticket. And if you really want to get up in the front row, you're talking 
fucking eight, nine, ten thousand dollars. There's no fucking reason that a Bruce Springsteen ticket should cost that much. And uh, did a little bit of research, and I guess what happened is Ticketmaster went, Hey, Bruce, I think we could really make a lot more money by jacking your ticket prices up. And instead of Bruce Springsteen that talks about the little man all the time in his songs, instead of him saying, No, we should keep it cheap so the working class of America can see it, he said, Sure, fuck it. Make him $10,000. So, fuck Bruce Springsteen, I guess. Fuck Ticketmaster, too. I was about 16 years old. I went to this church with this girl I was dating. And one of them churches where they got the speaking in tongues and jibbering and jabbering and flopping around in the aisle and all that. Which is fine. I have nothing against that. If that's the way you want to worship your God, do it that way. But anyway, they were doing that thing where you go up in the front and they, they gibber at you and then they touch your head and you fall down and they catch you. And I was like, holy Christ, this is fucking weird. I gotta get out of here. And then I, my friend got up and he walked up to the front. I'm like, what the hell are you doing, man? Get back here. You're not buying into this stupidity, are you? And then, next thing I knew, I was just walking up that aisle, and my brain is screaming, turn around, this is stupid, but my body just kept moving. And I went up there, and they did the deal where they touched my head, and I kind of, like, blacked out, I guess. And when I woke up, I felt amazing. And I think that's what Christians call the Holy Spirit. But that was a real thing. I felt that, and I'm not making it up. That was I could I could not control what I was doing. Thirty years later, I saw a Jelly Roll at Rockfest, and Jelly Roll. I don't know why the fuck they didn't make him the big headliner because he was the rock star at Rockfest. They played him in the day in the hot. You know how awful this watching fucking music with the sun up. Well, anyway, when he did his concert, I had a very similar experience. I was kind of about middle of the crowd, you know. And uh, he starts playing, but well, I'm a little high, too. There was a dude passing a blunt around. But anyway, uh, all of a sudden, I'm going towards the stage. Just, it's like the same feeling you know that something's moving me up towards the stage and I'm having a really spiritual moment and I look around and I realize that everybody around me is weeping and I don't know what song he was playing probably uh, probably save me I would think was playing everybody around me is just weeping and they're putting their hands on each other's shoulders and I realized that I'm weeping, too. Now, I have to believe that there's some sort of uh, energy of magic that makes things like that happen. I don't know what you want to call it. The Holy Spirit or magic or energy or karma or whatever. But uh, there's something real there.
this up a lot but my favorite thing in the whole world to do is to get high and then run uh, something about it just makes me feel great and I like I have a spiritual experience if that makes me crazy saying that I guess I'm fucking crazy but usually I'm, I'm normally running five six maybe sometimes seven miles at a time and uh I, don't know, I just really enjoy running. I was thinking about maybe running the Pine Marathon, doing the half marathon. That's 13 miles, I think. But that's pretty early in the spring, and training on a treadmill in the house is pretty awful. So I don't know if I'm going to do that. But a friend of mine was talking about that him and his wife are going to go up and do the Mackinac Straits Bridge Walk. He says, I guess they open that up once a year for people to walk across it. And, uh, so uh, five miles one way and I think that I should go run that get over there fucking eat about a hundred milligram edible pull up my ranger panties and run that cocksucker and I would think by about mile eight I should be able to be communicating with the spirits of all the lost sailors that died in the Mackinac Straits and maybe see the Kraken reach out there and touch God it's a goal of mine I think I'm going to do it 10 miles I can do 10 miles cross the bridge and back we read the lyrics to the song here called American Dream by a guy by the name of Drayton Farley <coughs> I'ma just keep watching, I think my heart's stopping. Nicotine fiend of a man. I was born this way, I'm a government slave, and I was raised on stolen land. And it's a hard up kind of life, begging the ashtrays for nickels and dimes. Writing these songs, trying to wrap my mind around a bullshit American dream. I'm a six gun Odin, bet the truth hurts, don't it? Won't you catch me if you can? I hope all is well, it's a cold day in hell when you pry it from my dying hands. Cause it's a hard up kind of life, when you're paying your dues, don't get you by. You're working all week to make some overtime to pay for this bullshit American life. I've heard once to be dreaming means you gotta be asleep, and I've grown tired of counting these sheep. I had a dream I was drugged, and when I finally woke up, I went and blew up my TV. Because it's a hard-up kind of life, when you're not allowed to get yourself a natural high. Here's a pill to help you sleep, just give it some time. Now you're addicted to this bullshit American dream. And it's a hard-up life, begging the ashtray for nickels and dimes. Writing these songs, trying to wrap my mind around a bullshit American dream. I would suggest that you l listen to that song. It does a way better job than I did. Um, and I'll put a link to it in the description. Is the American dream dead? 
when I was young, my American dream was to, uh, by the time I'm 40 or so, have a pretty wife, a couple kids, nice truck, boat, four-wheeler, decent job. And I've accomplished that, all those things. And it's really not as satisfying as I thought it was going to be. And in fact, I kind of fucking hate paying for it. I have all these material possessions around me that you think are going to fulfill something in your life, but all they really fulfill is another loan payment. And it kind of seems like the 20-somethings in this world already figured that out. Because there's a trend I've noticed where people are just like, I'm just not going to work. And I'll be fine. As long as I got a warm place to sleep, I'm not hungry, I got a little sack of, sack of pot, I'm good. And I have a really hard time not faulting them for that. And I'm a little bit jealous that I, I can't do that. It's too ingrained in me that I need to work to be a productive member of society. That I can't just be like, fuck it, let them take the car, let them take the truck, you know. I, I can't wrap my brain around that concept even. There's like an instinct in me that's supposed to work. And the younger generation doesn't seem to have that. And they're fine with that. They're okay with, like, minimalistic subsistence living, almost, you know. When I was in Iraq, I bought some Rolex watches. I think they're about $20 a piece. And there was a... Well, when we kicked Saddam out of power in Baghdad, we let uh, the Iraqis loot the whole city, and there was a lot of high-end jewelry shops in Baghdad. So there was a lot of real Rolexes floating around. And it was kind of hit or miss whether you were going to get a real one or you were going to get a fake one, but it really didn't fucking matter because it you had a Rolex and it was something cool to show off when you got home. And I bought it, and I think while I was in Iraq, and I broke the band on it. And it's been sitting in a fucking jewelry box on my shelf for since then, pretty much. And the other day, I was like, you know, I want to fucking wear my Rolex. So I was going around to the Walmart and get a pin for it and you can't even get a fucking watch pin at the Walmart anymore they don't even sell watch bands at the Walmart anymore 
So when I went to my appointment the other day, I took it to a jewelry shop, and uh, the guy put a pin in it for me and fixed it. And uh, I said, well, do you think that one's real or a fake one, or what do you think? He looked at it, and there's supposed to be a serial number somewhere, and there's no serial number on there. And uh, the particular watch that I have, the real version of it would be worth about 50 grand. But I got a fake version of it, and the guy offered me $800 for it. So even a fake Rolex is worth $800. I'm going to wear the fuck out of that thing. I'm going to bling it up. Fuck you guys. I got an $800 fake Rolex.